Hello, you're listening to CJLY 93.5 FM in Nelson, 96.5 FM in Crawford Bay, 101.5 in the lower Slocan Valley, and 107.5 in New Denver. This next hour is Query with Badge, Bria, Axel, and Jason, our special guest. And we're going to start off with a song here. This next number is Broken Social Scene, uh, a Canadian group. And this song is called Anthems for a 17-Year-Old Girl. Following this song, we're going to have a special recorded interview with a local author, Katie Berry, speaking about their new book, Claw. So enjoy this song and then the interview with Katie and Shaz. Used to be a one-eight-eighteen-wings and he likes you for that. Used to be a one-eight-eighteen-wings and he likes you for that. Welcome back. This week, well, not this week, but today and tonight, we've had an opportunity to uh, do a pre-record and an interview with a lovely uh, lady by the name of Katie Berry. She's a resident of uh, Castlegar who just recently released a new novel entitled Claw. It's been three years in the making, and the novel is a thriller set in a fictional Kootenai town of lawless British Columbia. A little bit about the book. A local ski resort that has been struggling financially for decades from worsening winters of fog created by global warning reinvented itself as a gambling destination and the Golden Nugget Casino and Resort was born. Ooh, sounds interesting. So, what happens? Well, already inaccessible by air due to fog, the remote town is rocketed by a major seismic event and the residents are now landlocked as well cut off from the rest of the world and no way out. Their only access, the gold mine pass, now lies buried beneath millions of tons of rock, ice, and snow. Awakened from its ancient slumber, a creature stalks the swirling gray mist surrounding Lawless. It hunts for fresh prey, eating any living thing that crosses its path. A beast with gnawing hunger that growls strong, grows stronger by the minute. It's only thought to satisfy its ravenous appetite. Whew, that sounds like a very intense uh, book. Uh, so I'd like to introduce our author, Katie Berry. Hello, Katie. Hello, Shazad. How are you? I'm good. So when does your book, uh, when ha- does your book release? It's actually November 30th, give or take a day or so. Um, I've had a bit of an issue with the final release. It's coming out on Amazon. It'll be worldwide release. Um, it'll probably be, if not the 30th, maybe uh, by the, the 1st of December, sort of kind of around there. Oh, lovely. Perfect. Just in time for those Christmas stockings. Let's hope so, yes. Uh, so tell me about being a writer. Well, it's a very uh, lonely job. Uh, you spend a lot of time with yourself. You have to like yourself. Oh, yeah? Um, how many hours a day do you sit in front of your uh, thoughts and computer? Well, recently with the final push to get the book released, it's been probably about 12 hours a day at least. I've been grinding away. I'm up usually at 4.30 or 5 in the morning. And uh, with other things I need to do in life, by the time I'm done at night, I've had about 10 to 12 hours in front of the screen. Generally speaking, when I'm just writing something um, and editing, it's maybe six to eight hours a day, but usually about six, seven days a week. 
So, Katie, is this uh, your first published book? Uh, yes, it is the first one that I'm bringing through to completion. I have written four others um, over the last, well, about five or six years. Um, I've been writing seriously for about 12 years now. I did it when I was much younger, uh, starting in grade two, actually, uh, with a little class project. It was a short murder mystery so oh, <laughs> at nice. the time. And, uh, and I actually read a lot of back as a teenager I, and not as much writing then, but then got back into it in my 30s. And, uh, and so um, mm-hmm. this book uh, is a thriller, and mm-hmm. it sounds like at the age of, what, two, three, four, you were writing thrillers? I was, yes. So I've you been fascinated with it. Yeah, what, what fascinates you about thrillers? Well, what I, I've always liked, as, as a child, my, my mother was a huge fan of the uh, Universal Monsters, uh, Boris Karloff as Frankenstein's monster, of course, Bella Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr. Oh, yes, and yes. And so I, I developed a, a liking for those as well. And as, as a child, I remember growing up watching a show called The Night Stalker with Darren McGavin. He was an investigative reporter, and he would, uh, it was a monster of the week show. It was actually the guy that wrote The X-Files, oh, Jeff yeah. Rice, he is a huge fan of that show too, just like me, and, and he based the that sort of idea of that, which is something I've always loved. I wanted to become a journalist at one time, only because of that reason, of course, when I was younger. You know, not that I figured I'd find monsters around every corner, but I guess I can create my own now. So, so it sounds like you've always been on the hunt for the unknown. Oh, absolutely. But, absolutely. but more of the hunt for the unknown when it comes to, like, things that scare us. Yes. Interesting. Things that scare me are usually things I think scare other people, too. Yeah. Oh, Wow. So, um, I, as I'm looking at you right now, I'm seeing you're, one, you're wearing a great shirt that spells out N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O 2019. Yes. What is that? NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. It's been around now since, uh, I think this is the 18th, 19th year, 18th year, something like that. I can't, I'm not quite sure. I've been doing it for about five years now, and this will be my fifth year that I've completed it. You have to write 50,000 words in the 30 days of November. You have to start and finish? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, you don't have to finish. If it, the, the, the object is just to put your – you can write anything you want. You could write, you know, I'll work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, just like ah, okay. Jack Torrance in The Shining, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, which is coming out again. The, yeah, the I've, sequel I've is coming out. I've seen the sequel. It's an <gasps> awesome it movie. Good? Yes, fabulous. Oh, yes. of course you have. You love your thrillers. Well, actually, my next novel is an homage to The Shining. So, oh, wow. Yes, Ooh, so. that's – <laughs> going to be held up on a big pedestal for that one. Oh, yeah. Well, yes, I suppose. <laughs> it better be good. So back to this NaNoWriMo, because mm-hmm. one of our other hosts, uh, Axel, was telling us about it a couple of episodes ago. Mm. Tell me about it again. What is NaNoWriMo? Well, you need to write about 1,600 words a day, mm-hmm. and it's um, whatever you want to write. It, it can be a, a biography, a memoir, um, poetry doesn't really much matter what you write as long as you put the words down on the page. And how do you submit it? Uh, the only person that ever sees it is you. So it's, it's, the onus is on you to be honest that you're actually completing it. Oh. You, you upload how many uh, words that you've written each day to the website. There's a nanorimo.org you can go to and okay. sign up. And yeah, then yeah. you validate your words with them that you've written. And uh, they track it for you. And then at the end of the month, you can order a winner t-shirt, which I have been coming. Well, I can't order it yet, but very soon. Oh, wow. I have another 2,500 words and I've written my 50,000. So. so is there people that, like, do you win prizes for it? Um, or it's just... It's just more the, the, the feeling of personal satisfaction that uh, you could do something like that. Oh, which nice. First time I did it, I mean, I'd been writing for a while, but the first time I actually 
completed. It's like, yes, and that was the genesis of Claw here when I started that. Oh, wow. So NaNoWriMo brought about Claw and gave you the opportunity to kind of like really work with with an idea and time constraints. Yes, Ah. absolutely. And and it started out, not to paraphrase um, Martin Luther King Jr., but I had a dream. And and it was, that's one of the scenes in the novel is part of what the dream I had. So, yes. Interesting. So it's time for a couple of hard questions for you. Okay. So as, um, as, um, this is a, like, queer-based show, Mm -hmm. and we try to have queer, queer interviewees and Mm -hmm. queer ideas and what, and whatnot. Okay. Um, tell me about... The queer, um, what, what, what claw, uh, this, the book that you've written and how it relates to, to queer identity, queer issues and that sort. Yeah. Well, um, it's, yeah, you do, write, you're right. You do ask the hard questions. I see. That's, it's so true. It's open-ended though. <laughs> um, well, what I, I try to do, the characters I write, um, and there are some in my novel that are queer, mm-hmm. but oh, nice. they they don't come out and blatantly identify as so as such, because of course, just like in regular life, most people walk around being themselves, mm-hmm. just as my characters do in the novel. So, and every once in a while, you'll you'll get a little snippet of like their queer identity, I guess. There's a couple of things. If you're paying attention when you read my novel, you'll think. Hmm, what does that character mean by that? So, Interesting. Yes. But I don't want to give anything away. So. Ah. Uh, I remember uh, a long time ago, well, a few years ago, I was uh, uh, living and working in Quebec in a small town, and I was teaching English to a rural school, Quebec school, and we were playing a game called Murder Mystery, and I had to make up all these characters. Okay. And I made, um, like, half of them queer, <laughs> and I gave it awesome. to the kids, and it was amazing to see how they, like, embrace those personalities <laughs> and just like normalize them it was super Great. cool to see oh that would be something but I, sorry i diverge a little bit i just remembered <laughs> a little story about myself um so tell me a little bit about the book well it's a little town called lawless british columbia okay it's got a history of gold mining mm-hmm. not unlike of course rossland and uh, nelson here itself and it's based between those two towns um, as, as I was writing it over the years, I, whenever I visited either of those cities, I look at the architecture and take it all in because that's what Lawless, if you hear my description of Lawless, you'll think, oh, that sounds like Nelson or that sounds like Rosslyn, which it is. It's, uh, it's got a, it, it's, it lives in a parallel universe with our cities and it's off just a little ways further away past uh, Castlegar heading a little bit further north and it's uh, got its own little glacier and everything. It doesn't have, we have, of course, the, the Kootenai Glacier here. Uh, no, I'm sorry, the Kokanee Glacier. Is it Kokanee? Kootenay. Kokanee. Yeah, you're right. Kokanee. I have the Kootenay Glacier around Lawless, you see, so oh, it's got a glacier. Yes. Interesting. So, and, it's, and, and of course, now you have, you have Kootenay Lake here, and I have, of course, Kokanee Lake. So I've just taken a little of that liberty to uh, just to make it a little familiar sounding and play off things. And of course, there's references to the local communities around. Nice. Here's an interesting question that I always I've always wondered about when I speak to writers. Mm. How do you create your characters? Well, 
I've found that they sort of create themselves a bit. Really? Yeah. I'm, there's, there's different kinds of writers. There's plotters who write everything down on a little piece of paper, and they know the beginning of the novel, the middle, the end, and they can go all the way through it and then have a rough skeletal framework, of course. Mm-hmm. And they have pantsters, and I've always been a pantster. pantster. You're writing by the seat of your pants. So you write very organically whatever comes into your mind, and you write it down on the page. Um, to quickly mention one of my favorite authors, of course, again, Stephen King, mm-hmm. he was always of, of the opinion that it's like um, being a paleontologist where you're unearthing a bit of a bone and you're brushing away a little something. And so the, you've written a paragraph and then you write a, a, maybe a, a, get a whole chapter written and it's, it's uncovering a little bit more and, and you carry on and you've uncovered a bit more. And eventually you've got this whole skeletal framework that you've – which was what Claw ended up being and then you go back and flesh it out and dust everything else off. And for me, I find – that works well. I can't. I, I, I've tried to do outlines, but I just sit there staring at the page, going, and so I end up writing what comes to me. And generally, it's been working out so far for the last four novels that I've written. I mean, this is the first one, as I say, that I've been publishing. But when it comes to you, do you notice that uh, that your actual life uh, impacts the story and the evolution of the story that you write? Oh, it does. It does. It definitely affects uh, the characters as well. You know, oh, really? things that I experience, and um, certainly people that I meet in the world. Not that I've based anybody in my novel off of anybody in particular. They're more of an amalgam of different people, I suppose. You know, that I've met over the years. Mm. Do you take notes on people that you meet? I don't take notes, but so I, I love. I have an ear. I like to listen to. I love dialogue, and I love how t- people speak. So oh, really? I'll hear somebody say something, a, a phrase, a turn of phrase, or a colloquialism, as it were, and I, I'll listen to them and I'll say, "Oh, oh, I just love what you just said. Can I use that in a book sometime?" And they're you're like, "Oh, yes, sir, you know, go right ahead." So, Interesting. So, yes, I, I love. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what kind of research do you do then for your books? If you're writing from the seat of your pants, the characters kind of come up, but how do you like? How do you document and like? validate the book in a research sense. That's that's another whole ball of wax, as they say, because I will I will write stuff as it comes to me, but then I'll, I'll think to myself, well, how does that work? And one of the things I found that being a writer is it's um, like going back to school. It's You're researching things constantly because everything you'll read in my book, except for a couple of little flights of fancy with uh, things with claws, um, and even that has a basis in reality. And um, any process or procedure that you read about, I have researched to make it authentic because I find the more you ground your novel in reality, the more you can take your um, the extremes of, of uh, suspending your audience's disbelief. So. Ah, interesting. Mm. Yeah, and that's so true. So, so true. It wow. Is. So while, while all you listeners take a few minutes to process – how to be a great writer, how to be a powerful writer, how to actually write. Maybe you're going to go home and look up NaNoWriMo, and next year I'll be I'll be sitting in a coffee shop right next to you, and we can write our 5,000 words together. 5,000? 50,000. Oh, add another zero to that. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. But let's take a moment and, you know, listen to a great song with poetry in it. Mm-hmm. 
was Michelle Gurevich. I'll be your woman. And now back to our interview. And welcome back to Query. We're interviewing author Katie Berry, who's just putting out her first published book called Claw. It was originally an idea that uh, she had, and then through NaNoWriMo, I hope you looked that up on the internet, uh, was able to really like hone in on that book and hone in on that idea and write a how many pages? Uh, it's 142,000 right now. Whoa. Oh, no, no, not pages. That's words. Words. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, the print edition is actually going to be 402 pages. Oh, that's not bad. That's a good, that's a good weekend read for it anyone is. who it wants is. to, who everyone, who anyone who's at the hot springs mm-hmm. in the middle of um, the Kootenays and thinking that an earthquake might come <laughs> and make them landlocked and then they'll have to fend for themselves and then suddenly there's this monster that's coming to attack everybody and 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 uh, fill their ravenous hunger. You never know which, what could happen. Yeah, which by the way, it potentially did happen in this book. It did. So when I like reading books, I like kind of reading the first few chapters and getting an idea of the voice and uh, voice and perspective of, um, I want to say the writer, but it's more of the person who is describing the book in a sense. The narrator telling the story. The narrative? The narrative. Yeah, the narrator telling. Yes. So tell me about, first of all, don't tell me about, Not let's not start with um, your narrative, but Mm -hmm. let's talk about the narrative you like to read um, I've always, I'm a fan of a third person perspective myself I know a lot of people do like a first person uh, I think that certainly has its place but I, I've found that these days it's, it's very very popular and I've always found the third person omniscient to be a, a little more of um, traditional type storytelling I suppose that's you know what Kuntz, Dean Kuntz is another of my favorites and, and Stephen King and Robert R. McCammon they all write in the third person generally. Can you give me an example of what a third person perspective is? Um, well, where you're saying um, Shazad sat in his chair and scratched his mustache as he pondered the monitor in front of him. So you're describing their actions and then you can get inside their head and say, you know, he was thinking of this or that. And so it, as opposed to being a first person where you're saying, I picked up my pen and decided to start writing the first thing that popped into my head. So interesting. Mm-hmm. See, I'm, I'm, and I'm a little bit different. I really like the first person magical mm-hmm. lyricism. One of my favorite authors is Albert Camus, and one of the one of like my ultimate favorite books that I've read in both English and French is L'Étranger, which translates to the Outsider. Mm-hmm. And it's a very like if you're if you're learning a language uh, and reading a language. Uh, reading first-person perspective really teaches you about like yes. how I identify with things. Mm-hmm. And having magical lyricism really gives you a scope of language that you won't really have from, um, let's say, for example, listening to Peter say something to Paul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I really like the first-person first person perspective because it also gives me – like I like being in someone else's brain because then you get a really get a sense of like their – ontology or their way of knowing and being mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. while third person you get a great storyline uh, but you're missing uh, and actually you do get a better sense of like that emotional relationship between people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. different kinds of emotional relationships between people yes. um, but you don't get that like 
first person epiphany well, tends to be harder. depending how it's written, of course, too. I mean, I find that I can get in people's heads, I, I try to, at least in the novel, of the characters. And uh, certainly, um, w- when I do write, what I write, I write in more, almost a con- conversational flow to my writing. I guess that's my voice, mm. you could call it, where it's... And, and what I've done as I've written the novel is I've written it with an eye to... Um, I want to do it as a, an audio book as well, since they're quite popular with a lot of people. And, yeah. and I find that when you're reading out your writing, if, if it's stilted in any way, it comes out when you read what you've written. Sometimes you may read what you've written on the page and think, oh, well, that sounds fine. But then you go to read it out and you will discover where you are having issues. So that's something that I found that uh, makes a real difference. Do you read – so as you're writing, do you read it? read out your book? I do. I'll, I'll read. I'll, if I've written a paragraph or two, I'll look at it and I'll read it and think, oh, okay, that sounds good. And then I'll read it out then to see as, as if somebody is telling it as a story for like a radio play or, or an audiobook, and And it really makes a difference. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, when I write emails, I read it out and I read it out loud too mm-hmm. to make sure my punctuation is correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Got to have the flow. That's right. Now, that's what a lot of people have read my book. I've had beta readers that have read it already. Yeah. And they thoroughly enjoyed it. I've had people from very enjoy all sorts of different genres like romantic fiction, historical, uh, detective stuff who have read it and they say they st- still enjoyed it even though it's not their normal genre. Because one, one of the things I like to inject into my writing, there's a lot of humor. Really? Yes. And, and, and That's I've, hard to do. It is. And, but I've found that a good thriller or especially something with horrific elements – needs to have some humor too because in the pay, right place they have to balance off, off of each other and i've found that uh, even it, it's 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 a fine it's a bit of a balancing act but i think i've sort of uh, attained what i was going for when i wrote it so. beautiful mm-hmm. and if you're just tuning in you're tuning in to query and uh we're listening to shaz right now interviewing author katie berry who's just releasing a new book called Claw, based around a small rural Kootenai town that due to a, due to a, what was the word? What was the, what was the accident, the major accident that happened? Oh, the earthquake. Earthquake! Earthquake, yes, that's right. I was thinking global warming, but that's, that's 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 everybody. (laughs) The earthquake is the one that released the, the monsters and, you know, landlocked them or... Lock them away from people. That's right. So, if you have, if you're going to get a chance, how can people um, uh, get your book? Well, uh, it's going to be available worldwide through Amazon. Uh, you can get the digital edition. I'm selling at a very reasonable price, uh, and that's I, I find that that's the way I, I think a lot of people like to read these days is digitally. Because mm-hmm. even though I love a nice paperback myself, it's it's the convenience of, of digital is great. It's a very reasonable price. I'll be selling it as a mass market paperback as well mm-hmm. um, and, and at, at the same price as you'll pay for any other paperback, nothing exorbitantly priced. So no. I want to get people – I want to get it out into people's hands and then have them enjoy it. Um, nice. Yeah, and we'll be posting – we'll be posting on our website – our Facebook. We don't have a website yet. We'll be posting on our Facebook on when it releases. So uh, – and we'd love to hear your feedback on what you think of this <laughs> great new book based around the local area. Mm. So back to some of these difficult, difficult questions. Tough ones. Tough, tough ones. Um, We were talking a little bit about, at the beginning of the show, about how do you, how you interject uh, 
a queer identity, your queer identity in the, in the spectrum that queer means, uh, into your writing? Well, uh, certain, certain characters, when I write them, I certainly do write them f- with my own uh, mindset, my own take on the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes through in, in especially one of my characters. Uh, that would be the, the lead, who's a girl by the name of Christine. Oh, She's nice. a conservation officer for the Con- Conservation Services of BC. So. Ooh. And uh, she's up against some pretty, pretty greedy people. Yeah, because there's a gold mine, as I say, involved in this too. So. And and even even like having her as a woman in a very misogynistic profession, mm-hmm. no, it's not misogynistic; it's male dominated. Yes, it can be misogynistic, but I'm not in the possession uh, profession, and I can't I can't say it as such. But you know, but just interacting with your average Joe Blow out there, yes, it yeah. can be difficult for her. Yes, yeah. but no, it's not the average Joe Blow. But like as a profession, as somebody who is. Um, as an environmentalist and as somebody who is a conservation officer, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. really looks at protecting the environment and yes. protecting wildlife and such. That's right. It's a predominantly male-dominated profession. It is. It so is, absolutely. How, how do you and, – and so having a woman as the lead – is very uh, much a queer identity, and so yes, I, I think yeah. that's yeah. Wow. Okay. She has to. Well, she's got a lot of uh, strength. She's very um, assertive and forthright. She doesn't take shit. Oh, can I say that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's late night radio. <laughs> okay. Uh, she doesn't take that stuff from anybody. Uh, she, she states her opinion, and uh, there's there's several scenes where she um, puts puts the uh, misogynists in their place. So, yes. <laughs> that's in, good. in a very humorous manner. Judy, nice. So, yes. Nice. Um, so tell us a little bit more about about this book. Okay. Well, um, gosh, what else is there to say? So there, there is the gold mine, which uh, there are certain people that have discovered they want to keep this all of themselves, and uh, it's at a cavern that's been discovered, mm-hmm. and it's, it's maybe there might be something there. They're not sure at this point. And well, if if you read the first chapter, which is free on my website, by the way, I, they discover what happens. Something happens to a group of campers, and that was actually part of that was based off of something I read several years back about something that happened to a group of campers up north. And um, so I took that idea that that was, and then I had that dream as I mentioned. Um, so yeah, it's it's combining all the different elements. Uh, as I say, we've, you've got a bit of horror, you've got uh, comedy, comedy, and you've got action adventure. Um, oh, wow! And it's it's there's there's a little bit for, of, of something for everybody, I think. Um, and you were just mentioning that the first chapter is free on your website. Mm-hmm. Can you let us know what your website is? It's katieberry.ca. Nice. So K-A-T-I-E, Berry, like the fruit. C-A? Oh, that's a yes. great word. That's mm-hmm. a great website. Thank you. So to end the segment, um, I just would really like to know how your experience at um, – uh, where did we first meet? I forgot it, what, what the, what the uh, event was. That, oh, what was the event? Oh, that was, was at the uh, the drawing at um, yeah. the Bent, Bent on, on Art. Bent on Art, yes. Nice. And the still, the still Life drawing. You were quite the amazing model, I must say. Oh, so, <laughs> so tell us about – was that the first time you've ever been to Bent on Art? No, I've actually participated in the first year as well, the year oh, before. Wow. Yeah. And it's nice. been very – inter Darius uh, X, who was there, he, he did some uh, – um, Diorama boxes we did the first year, which was quite a lot of fun. Lovely. Yes, yeah. And then, of course, this year when I heard that we were doing life, still life drawing and then the lith, uh, the 
printmaking, yeah. which is fabulous. I want, I'd like to take anything and step outside of my comfort zone and uh, learn new things. And, and for those those people who are who are unaware of what Bent on Art is, can you tell us a little bit about it? It's a festival locally run here with uh, Samante Cruz is also involved with it, and um, he's that helps to spearhead it and get um, local queer uh, artists and and artists that are just starting out and wanting to learn um but anybody it's open to anybody mm-hmm. but they they do have preference to uh, people that identify as queer yeah. and um you get to experience different art forms and art mediums and 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 all of the art that comes out um generally um will have a something that speaks to the the queer community, community. yeah and I really like it because it, um, they make it as accessible as they can. Mm. And it's a week long prior yes. to the Pride Fest, like the actual like Pride oh, Party yeah. that happens. That's right. But it's one of those and – I, and, I, and I hope it continues. I do too. Um, yes. Because it's one of those like uh, cultural things that aren't based around – isn't based around drinking or mm-hmm. partying or yes. like or like – relationships it's about like moving forward with what our identity means within the community as yes. an as an art so i'd like to leave you with that uh, i'd like to also thank katie berry for coming in and talking to us as a as a as a published author um and a published queer author which is like a hold that up a published queer author in yes. the kootenays which is which is even more difficult. That's it's been well, it's, it's an honor to have been on the show here, and I so appreciate the opportunity. And and the, and it is it's 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 so um, something that I think that it needs to be uh, celebrated. The 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 local uh, voice of the queer community, especially this area, is such a, a microcosm of of creativity as well in the Nelson area here. So mm-hmm. so much uh, that happens. And um, if you'd like to learn more about Katie Berry, please feel free to go to uh, her website, katieberry.ca, K-A-T-I-E-B-E-R-R-Y dot C-A. I hope you read the first chapter that's available online for free and let us know what you think. Now let's listen to another lovely song. All right, that marvelous tune that just came to your ears was Hilarity Duff by Kay Trinata, a gay Haitian-Canadian DJ and producer. All right, all right, all right. So you're listening to Queery. <laughs> and uh, we've had a lovely interview with Katie Berry, which we hope you enjoyed. And now we're going to move right along into talking about a little bit of relationship psychology and theory. We've been learning a little bit about attachment theory and wanted to share with y'all because it's very illuminating and helps us figure out patterns and how to make our relationships healthy and vibrant and loving. I recently read a zine on attachment theory and it was really interesting to me because it made me... um, it made me question the way that I am in relationships and it made me um, like it made me want to think more about the patterns that I'm seeing consistently in the way that I interact with people. And uh, so basically in attachment theory, um, 
our relationships are based on how we interacted with our primary caregiver as like babies. So depending on whether you had a secure relationship with your primary caregiver or an insecure relationship, um, you react differently to situations. If your primary caregiver uh, when you were a baby was like predictable and available and loving and consistent and caring, um, you're more likely to develop a secure attachment style. Um, but if those factors vary, um, then you might develop um, either anxious attachment or avoidant attachment. And there are various degrees uh, to which um, you can experience those things. In terms of avoidant attachment, um, when you're a baby, if your primary caregiver leaves the room, uh, like most babies would kind of like cry and freak out, um, uh, looking for the attention of their primary caregiver to come back. But in the in the case that that you like that you don't have that typical reaction, uh, maybe you have kind of like a straight face. You have like a straight face baby kind of mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that um, just because the baby doesn't experience um, like stress or. Um, Stress in an obvious way. That doesn't necessarily mean that that um, that that baby is not stressed on the inside. In fact, um, avoidant babies have been known to um, to have elevated stress hormone levels, such as cortisol, or uh, like really elevated heart rates. In the same in the same way that um, another baby that was crying would express those um, those feelings. So it kind of makes me think that. Later on in life, um, people that tend to relationships in a more avoidant fashion, like, for instance, if you have a fight with your partner and you kind of disassociate and you don't want to deal with those things, maybe you've had um, a situation in which that was a strategy. And I think that's what attachment theory is looking at. It's saying, you know, we all as humans have needs for connection and care and um, yeah, to be in relationship with each other. And when we're babies and children, we don't have as much power over that care that we're accessing and we're really relying on other people to take care of us. And if that care is an inconsistent or is inconsistent or not present, then we develop coping strategies that help us deal with the fact that we're not getting the care that we need as human babies and children. So those coping strategies then become kind of ingrained in us. They become patterns that then affect our adult relationships. So we wanted to give a little bit of a metaphor for explaining how this may show up in adult relationships. And uh, we were having a little conversation earlier about string <laughs> stringless ski sex as, as ski se- season approaches and maybe uh, people are getting ready to stay warm with another human, maybe stringlessly warm. Uh, so we wanted to share some post reactions to if you have a little bit of stringless fun after a fun day of skiing with a cutie. Um, so to give an example of how you might respond based on the different attachment styles uh, after that 
encounter. So, Axel, let's say you run into like some cutie Australian new to Nelson, and you like randomly like hook up. Like, what's your、uh, what's your next day strategy, buddy? Me personally, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how good was the sex. <laughs> Do I want to see this person again?、Um, Oh, <sighs> uh, well, I mean, I, I guess I tend towards like an anxious attachment style.、Uh, well, I think actually, like, I tend towards secure attachment. Not to brag, but、um, if I'm like going to insecure attachment, then I definitely am more clingy than avoidant, and so I would probably be like texting that person, like, "Hey, it was really nice, like meeting you yesterday and hanging out and everything, and like, when are you free to hang out again?" So that would be more of an anxious style, where it's like I want to be super available for that person.、Um, if they should choose to engage with me again, I'm like making myself. Uh, super open to that because maybe there's some anxiety that、uh, that person is not going to respond. So I'm like, I'm going to be super open and available. I am definitely the opposite to that. I am super avoidant. So let's say that I like hook up with some hottie, Australian. <laughs> so many of them. And if that person were to like contact me the next day, I'd probably be like. You know, sitting around twiddling my thumbs or whatever, like waiting for a message. And once that message comes in, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can hang out again. I have a lot going on right now. Meanwhile, like crickets. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so are you responding to the message, or are you kind of like,、uh. I would respond.、Mm-hmm. I would respond, but not immediately. I'm not. I'm not an immediate responder person. Right, so you'd be non-committal, yeah, because you're like immediately、mm. and in an aloof manner. Aloof, what a good word. <laughs> Definitely more avoidant. So that's kind of a strategy around if if when you're forming initial attachment with early caregivers, that that、uh, adult is not available. So the kind of coping strategy is like, well, if you're not available to meet my needs, then I don't have needs, and so like I don't even know if I want to see you again because I don't need. You or anyone else? I'm fine, and you're like kind of in some sense. I was reading some some articles, and in some sense, the avoidant、uh, behavior of babies it, it kind of like has an idea of like punishing the caregiver for going away and like not having that、um, like feedback as like I miss you kind of. Not to say that avoidant people are like bad, but in a lot of the literature, it seems that they're kind of portray- portrayed as like the worst or like the villainous of all the types. But I think it's important to note that um, these people um, are avoidant in order to like protect themselves. It's not like a malicious behavior. It's just something that we do to cope.、Mm-hmm. And two earlier, we were talking about、um, the way people can like notice these patterns in themselves, and then once kind of developing some of that self awareness, maybe start to address those things in, in ways of perhaps like noticing when that's coming up for them and asking them like, "Oh, is this really how I want to respond?"、Um, or also in that like diving deeper and maybe thinking about where that came from from that for them, and that allowing you to kind of. Move forward from there. It's not like, you know, if you're in that condition as a baby or as a child,、um, 
of like not receiving that care that like then in your entire adult life you're bound to only be in relationship in these certain ways um and how yeah that that reflection and becoming self-aware can can instigate change yeah i think that um our coping mechanisms like they change right they have to change depending on like the your stage like the timing the relationship that you're in or like um depending on the people that you're having the interactions with um and like you said if you can reflect on your behaviors and learn something from the way that you're reacting to certain situations and um you can change these patterns if you want to and in some of the literature it also said that you should just date secure people like (laughs) how boring how like what Um, (laughs) yeah just just put it on your tinder profile you know um like hey i'm only looking to date secure people so i can heal my childhood attachment issues (laughs) and um if you also have attachment issues then maybe just like swipe left on me uh the other attachment insecure attachment is disorganized so that's a kind of a combination of the anxious and avoidant where it's like you can't really decide on a strategy of like, oh, I really want to be close. And then like, no, I can't handle it. So that person might text after this clandestine ski <laughs> sesh and be like, hey, you want to hang out again? And when the person responds like, yeah, when are you free? Then the the original person is like, oh, actually, I don't know if I want to hang out. Maybe I'm just going to like leave this message for two weeks and then maybe I'll respond and be like, Hey, you up at like two o'clock in the morning? Booty call, and then be like, "I'm I'm asleep anyway." Never mind. I don't need you or anyone. Me neither. Are you up? Because I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Anything else in your little notebook about that, Bria? No, not really. All right. I think we covered all of our basics. Um. Well. It's about time to wrap up. Wanted to let you all know about a pride planning meeting happening this Thursday, December 5th from 630 to 730 at Touchstones Museum. So if you want to help make queer stuff happen in town, then you can go to that meeting and help make queer stuff happen in town. And uh, that's, that's pretty much us. Thanks for listening. It's been a fun, snowy Sunday evening with you. And uh, remember that we have a Facebook page if you want to get in touch. Actually, we had a Facebook comment on our Nelson Burger Month episode last week. Um, So shout out to Matthew, who recommends the Marzano Burger. Although I guess Burger Month is now over. So sorry, everyone, you missed that. But still shout out. Make sure that you vote if you did have any burger selections and maybe win the $550 prize or whatever. And um, $550? <laughs> if you missed an episode, you can find us on anchor.fm or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or just figure it out and listen up to Query. Okay, we love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.